You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. What do you do? that you hate that you do it. I'm talking serious now, not mowing the yard or something like that. Something that you do that you hate the fact that you do it and you continue to do it. Or what do you want to do, but you never actually do it? I mean, it's something real now, not some little thing, but a real thing that you want to do, but you never actually do it. We all have something that comes to mind when we talk about this that the Holy Spirit maybe is putting in your mind, because we all go through this, we all struggle with doing the things that we hate to do and not doing the things that we wish we would do. And over the past few weeks in Romans, we've been talking about sanctification. It's kind of the section of Romans we're in. It's, It's an essay on salvation that Paul wrote to the Holy Spirit, and it's broken up into sections. You have a condemnation section at the beginning that says how everybody is sinful and has no righteous works to stand on because we are all have done terrible things. Then we have a section on justification, how Jesus has paid the price for those terrible things we've done, and now we're declared legally innocent by God. Justification is a one-time event like a wedding day, and it changes the legal status. After that is sanctification. What happens after justification, after Jesus, you accept His payment for your sins, and God sees you innocent. The rest of your life is sanctification, until you die, and then there's glorification after that. But sanctification is the rest of this life. And the heart of that is becoming more and more like Jesus as you continue, as you grow, and as you pray, and as the Holy Spirit works in you, you become more and more like Jesus. And that's sanctification. And to understand sanctification is very helpful to conceptualize that as Christians we have two natures. The Bible will call it our old self, or the body of death, we'll see today. And then we have our new self, that you know all things have been made new by Jesus. And our old self is who we were before our justification, before we were Christians, while we were under condemnation, while our sins were still upon us. That's who we used to be that loved to sin. We didn't feel bad about it, that wanted to be in control of our own life and didn't want anyone to tell us, well, no, actually there's a God in charge of you. That's our old self, and as part of your justification, the Bible says you put that self to death, and you rise up to new life, now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you continue that way. And so we have the old nature of sin, who we used to be, that's always struggling, though, against our new nature with the Holy Spirit. And that's the battle of sanctification. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, this is a uniquely Christian problem, this struggle with sin, this battle of your old self and your new self. I'm not saying non-Christians don't struggle with sins, but not in the same way. They feel bad about sinning, um, maybe even do things to try to correct that, but until you come to the realization there's nothing that you can do about your sins, 
except look to a Savior, there's still some way you're justifying your sin, something you're telling yourself that makes you okay with the evil that you've done. So as Christians now are combating old self and new self, that's the battle, that's the struggle with sin that we're going to look at. And that's the big problem, how we struggle with sin. There's things that we hate that we do, that we continue to do them. And then there's things we wish we did, but we never actually do them. And what we're going to study tonight is one of the most beloved sections in all the Bible, where we get to see Paul the Apostle's struggle with sin. And he lays it out, and there's not one Christian who cannot relate to this struggle with sin. And so Paul, it's helpful to understand him, because he, his sin was not you know, the type of guy, probably, I mean, from what we can gather in the Bible and the letters he wrote, it's not the type of guy who would, like, I don't know, hit his wife, get drunk every Friday night, that kind of thing. His sins were religious and judgmental and thinking I'm better than you because I follow certain rules better. And some of us, that's the way we sin as well. And not in the sinful way of, you know, the things I just said, but in the religious way of judging people and thinking they're better. And that's Paul. He describes himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he devoted himself to following the traditions of men, like Pastor Dave talked about this morning, that not God's commands is the huge concern, although that's part of it, but more the traditions of men. And Paul was very religious, and so much so, he was implicit in the murder of the first uh, Christian who was murdered for his faith, Stephen, in the book of Acts. It doesn't say he threw any of the rocks at him, but he was there. And the people who murdered Stephen were laying their coats at his feet, So he was there. He was murdering Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And on his way to Damascus to find some of the new Christians, he gets knocked off his horse and he sees Jesus. Jesus had already died, resurrected, and ascended, but he appears in a vision to Paul and says, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? And Paul converts to Christianity and repents of his religion and comes to saving faith in Jesus. So Paul is a guy who saw Jesus. He had a mission directly from Jesus to spread the gospel all around the known world at the time. Paul writes the majority of the books in the New Testament. So he wrote parts of the Bible. At the time he wrote the book of Romans, he had been a Christian about 20 years. So here it's not, you know, some regular church dude, you know, coming and saying, here's how I struggle with sin. This is Paul the apostle saying, Here's how I struggle with sin. It's the same way you struggle with sin. It's the same way I struggle with sin. And the Bible is timeless and timely. And we can see a lot from this. So let's look at Paul's struggle with sin. And then we'll look at ours. It will start in uh, Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. We'll read verse 14 through 23. See, Paul's struggle with sin. Romans seven fourteen. It starts with, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He's saying, this is what we talked about last week, and that the problem is not God's law. The problem is not God has told us to do certain things. The problem is ourselves. He's saying the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, a slave to sin. The problem is not God's law. The problem is me, or in this case, Paul. And he says, For what I am doing... I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. 
He doesn't understand himself. He knows Jesus. He's seen Jesus. He's heard from Jesus. He says he doesn't understand himself because the things he wants to do, he doesn't do them. And the things he hates that he does, those are the things he actually ends up doing. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So if he does the things he hates, he says, I agree, the law is good. God's law is what's right and wrong is good. And that's something even before we're Christians, there's things everyone does that they hate that they do. So in some way they're agreeing with God's law that what he said is wrong is actually wrong, or else we wouldn't feel that guilt. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's not Paul blaming everything on sin. That's that dual nature I was just talking about, that he's not... Well, there's that battle of his old self and the new self. He's not blaming sin. We'll see he's, he's taking full responsibility. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And there's nothing good that lives in him. Because again, what he wants to do is in there. He feels in his body he wants to do something, but he can't actually do it. He wants to do it, but he can't bring his body to do it because in his flesh, nothing good dwells. That's all of us. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Again, I mean, you can see his frustration, the things that he wants to do, the good things he wants to do. He doesn't do them. But what do I do? The things I wish I didn't, the evil things that I do. Those are the things we continue to do and not the good things that God requires of us. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So he's saying, in my brain, I love God's law, and I want to do what he says. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members." So in my brain, in my mind, I love God's law, but I find something else going on in my actual body that I don't follow it. And this is Paul's struggle with sin, and it's our struggle with sin, because we want to obey God, but it's so hard. We have that old nature coming back, always fighting back, and we have temptations of sin and the enemy telling us not to follow God's law. And so we struggle against it. But we'll see that because we struggle with sin, the answer has to be Jesus. Hey, that's the Sunday school answer. And this time, it's true. I mean, it's really kind of always true. But the answer he's going to go here in his struggle with sin is Jesus. So I want to preface this before we go in. And basically I'm saying, if, uh, if you wanted practical tips on do this, 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 and your sin is gone, that's not what we're going to get. That's not what the Bible says. He says to look to Jesus. But we'll unpack that. For specific applications, for your sin, for your struggle with sin, you can't deal with it in a sermon. You have to be talking to someone, reading the Bible, praying, and being in fellowship with your brothers and sisters so maybe they can point things out to you. But what we'll have here is some principles and some things that hopefully prayerfully will help you in your struggle with sin. Because if the answer is not Jesus, then you're managing your sin. You're not killing it you're managing it and the bible doesn't say to manage our sin it says to put our sin to death so how do we struggle with our sin let's unpack these verses see what it looks like i i can see kind of two ways we struggle with our sin at least the way i was praying about and seeing things first of all first way we struggle that i'll deal with is 
Sometimes, for some people, like me, or in some seasons of life, we don't struggle with sin enough. And we don't actually battle the way Paul is talking about battling. And this could be some of you, this is me, it could be certain times of life where you're this way, you're just not struggling with sin, you're accepting sin, and you're maybe managing it, but you're not putting it to death. And sometimes we don't struggle with sin enough. So these verses are very encouraging in our struggle with sin. So if you're struggling with sin, what do you do? Maybe read these verses. So do you read these verses a lot? I don't, because I don't struggle with sin as much as I should. If you're looking at these a lot, yeah, there could be a problem in the other way. Maybe you're struggling too much. We'll get to. But if you never look at these verses for encouragement of Paul's struggle with sin and how it goes, maybe you're not struggling with sin as much as you should. And if you're not struggling with sin... That means either you're not taking sin very seriously, and sin, all sin was serious enough that God himself died to pay the price for it, so we should be taking sin very seriously. So maybe we don't take sin seriously, or you think too highly of yourself. That's me. I a lot of times don't see my sin because I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I read the Bible, I go to church, I do this and this, and I think pretty highly of myself, and that's that pride underneath everything. And some, then I don't struggle enough. And honestly, really, when I'm praying about my sin, my number one prayer is, show me where I'm sinning, because I don't see it. Very self-righteous. And I feel so good about myself sometimes, I just don't even see where I'm sinning. So I don't struggle as much with it as I should be. So what are some ways that we do not struggle with sin? First of all, we rename sin, or we redefine it. If we give it a different name that sounds nicer than what God said, or we give it a different definition so it can justify what we're doing so we don't have to struggle about it that much. A few examples. We, uh, you know, the Brian Williams stuff going on with NBC in the news and, and how he lied about the stuff he went through. And there is people around him that, you know, all, after all this sort of got out that he lied about what he was reporting on, his inner circle of people said he couldn't actually say these words, I lied. He said things like, maybe I had a brain tumor and I didn't remember it right. And so sometimes we rename our sins or redefine it. We don't say straight up, I lied. We say, I fudged the truth. I didn't tell the whole truth. We have trouble sometimes saying the actual word. We rename it. Or remember uh, Bill Clinton. We all love Bill Clinton. And... Uh, did he say he committed adultery? No. He said, I had an inappropriate relationship. With his hand like that, probably. That's Bill Clinton trademark. I had an inappropriate relationship. Yeah. That sounded more like George W., but I don't have a great Bill Clinton impression. So Bill Clinton didn't say he committed adultery. He said he had an inappropriate relationship. And we don't just want to you know, pick on these guys. We also, like I've seen this, that... Uh, you know, did you know that you can justify biblically having multiple wives? I mean, justify biblically, air quotes. Because it's not adultery, it's taking care of other families. Because there's not enough good men to go around. You see, people can redefine anything they want to the point that it's okay to have multiple wives because you're not committing adultery, you're taking care of women. And so, we all do this in certain ways. We redefine sins. We say, well, God didn't really mean that. That's, that's not what I was doing, what God said not to do. I wasn't doing that. I was, do, I was doing something else. Redefining it or rename it. 
what God said not to do? Well, we do something like that, but not that exact thing. I didn't commit adultery. I had an affair. You know, things like that, little things like that that show we are not really struggling with our sin. Maybe we're struggling to justify it, but not struggling to actually take it to Jesus and deal with it. And so myself, I a lot of times don't say I'm being prideful. I mean, that's the thing I struggle with most recently. I say I'm being passionate. Right? I'm, I'm concerned about things. I'm being biblical. Or uh, I'm just telling it like it is. We have all these little phrases to make us feel better about the sins we're doing and not struggling with. And so where do you do that? That's the question. Where do you redefine sins? Where do you rename them and not follow what God has said? Secondly, we're satisfied with sins that are acceptable. Air quotes. Acceptable sins. Because you know there's sins in church that are acceptable. And then there's certain sins, oh, you better never admit it because people are going to judge you and kick you out of church and all these kinds of things. So then, instead of struggling, we say, well, if the people in church are okay with me doing this, even though the Bible says I shouldn't, then we, hey, it's okay, because I'm not being kicked out of church for that. I mean, we know that there's people living together and sleeping together, and they're not married, and we're fine, and that's good. I'm not saying we should kick them out, but would it be the same reaction if a homosexual couple came into the church? It would, would it be a different reaction to that? Or we think it's okay to judge people and stick our noses into non-Christians' business and tell them, here's how you should live your life. When the Bible says, what do we have to worry about people on the outside? That's not our business. They're, they don't even know Jesus. What do they care what we believe they should do with their lives? Or it's okay, it's an acceptable sin to not support our leaders. And we say terrible things about our leaders, although the Bible says we're to support them. Or we say it's okay, you know, build these multi-million dollar church buildings, but not give any money away. And see, there's all there's this hypocrisy that non-Christians pick up on very quickly. They see this in that, uh, what's it say, the Gentiles blaspheme God's name because of us. And so we don't struggle with sin when we think we're doing acceptable things. Yeah, there's some things we better not ever say that we do in church, but there's some things people kind of turn a blind eye to. But it's not what people in the church say, it's what the Bible says and what God says. And if we're doing those things, then we need to be struggling against them. Number three, a lot of times we, when we don't struggle with sins, with our sin, we focus on the ends and not the means. And we say things like, well, as long as the word of God is proclaimed, as long as the gospel is preached, it doesn't matter how we do it. But that's a very cultural way of thinking. That the only thing that matters is the ends. But as Christians, we need to be concerned also with how we do things. It's not just about what eventually happens. It's all along the way, following God's laws, God, what God has told us to do. Because he doesn't say, you know, as long as the gospel is proclaimed, I don't care what you do to get there. No, we're supposed to walk with Jesus as we do that. Big one. Self-esteem. We don't struggle with sin because we have very high self-esteem. The culture calls it self-esteem. Bible calls it pride. And we have, you know, a whole culture that says, feel good about yourself, self-help books, daytime talk shows, all these things that tell you how great you are. And then we believe it. We all believe these things because we're part of the culture. And then we feel like, hey, I'm not that bad. I don't need to struggle with sin. I can accept it because I'm just a human being and that's what we do. And that's what everyone says that it's okay. 
But also, think about, hey, what if Paul, who is your Christian brother, was, instead of writing this in the Bible, he was telling this to you. And he's saying, I, I'm just so frustrated. The things that I hate that I do, I keep doing them. The things I want to do, I never do them. Put whatever sin in there. Maybe he hates that he lusts after women. I hate that my mind goes there when I see women, but I keep doing it. What do we do a lot of times as Christians? We build them back up because of self-esteem. If Paul was telling this to you, I would be, I would probably say, oh, you know, Paul, you do a lot of good things for God too. You're spreading the gospel and it's, you know what? You're struggling. It's all good. You're fine, Paul. Yeah, I'll pray for you and kind of move on. And we always feel like we have to build people up, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes building people up causes them to not struggle with their sin. If they're confessing to you as a Christian brother or sister, I'm doing things that I hate that I do, maybe we shouldn't always just build them right back up and help them through the struggle, but not just to ignore it or to manage it. And probably the biggest one, biggest way we don't struggle with our sin is we blame other people. And we say, I wouldn't have done this except for blank. And there's all sorts of ways that we blame people for our sins. And that's not struggling. That's probably the biggest way we don't struggle with our sin is if, God, I'm sorry that I did this, but... Well, no, you're not struggling. You're blaming. And so we blame people, we blame others for our sins. Now there's a danger, I think, with... I mean, these are very encouraging. And I know I'm probably being discouraging, but sometimes, again, we need to be discouraged. And these are very encouraging. And sometimes, if we're not struggling with sin enough, we can read these verses to make peace with our sin. And we say, you know what? Paul's struggling too, so it's okay. You know, I'll get things figured out. But we're not to make peace with our sin. We're to make war with it. And read these and be, you know, do what Paul does, which we'll explore in a minute, and look to Jesus for our struggle and not just accept it and not struggle against it because in first john 1 6 it says if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth and if we're saying we're following jesus and we're not struggling with our sin we're just accepting it we're walking in darkness that's that's a little bit more than just saying you know it's okay this is a complete what, I don't care what the Bible says, but it's down that path. If we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you're aware of a sin in your life and you are not struggling against it, like the Bible says, if you say you're in the light and walking in darkness, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth and God has no fellowship with the darkness, it says. Now the key is struggle. This is only talking about if you know you're aware of a sin and you don't care. You said, I, that's just who I am. I'm going to accept it. And it is what it is. That's one thing. But knowing you're sinful and you don't like it, like Paul's writing here, and you're praying about it and you're seeking wisdom about it, that's struggling. And that's where the encouragement is because you're still struggling. It's the day you give up and say, I'm not going to struggle anymore. That's where it gets very dangerous. And the flip side to what I just read is later in that chapter where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you cannot confess your sins and also be justifying your sins 
in some of the ways we just talked about. You can't say, no, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm a sinner. But that person made me angry. You can't say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm a sinner. But that makes me feel bad. Those things where we don't struggle, you can't do both at the same time. You can't confess your sins and blame it on other people. You can't confess your sins and whatever else. I could go back through those five things. I'm not going to, though. Did you get the idea? And this is, and that's me. This is, I struggle by not struggling. And that's one thing studying through Romans has really brought out to me. I'm I'm not struggling enough. I think way too highly of myself. But there's the other way that we struggle. Some of us don't struggle enough. But some of us struggle too much. Now, before you call me a heretic, here's, here's not what I mean. Yeah, I just got done saying you need to struggle with your sin. What I'm talking about is struggling with sins that aren't even sins. Struggling with forgiving yourself when God has forgiven you. And sometimes I see people struggle where they don't need to struggle. And this is my wife, Adrian. She struggles and she doesn't need to struggle. She's not sinning, but she's struggling. I see this in other people at this church, and my heart breaks. I mean, I'm so opposite to this that I can see you, you, you don't need to struggle here. You're not sinning, or you've been forgiven, and you don't need to kick yourself about it, and you can move on from it. Now, these verses are not telling us to live in continual defeat. And when you read these, these verses that Paul wrote, it's not saying you are always going to lose You are never going to do the things you want. It's not saying that. It's saying you're not going to live in continual victory. You are going to lose, but you're also going to win sometimes. And the attitude to have as Christians is not, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to defeat my flesh because we can. And that's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do is to, when we are tempted in that way for our old self to come back, the Holy Spirit can give us power to push that back down. And you're not always going to win, but you're also not always going to lose. And that's the encouragement. It's not always things you need to struggle for. So there's maybe two ways that we struggle with sin too much. And re- again, I really know nothing about this personally because I'm the other way. I'm, I'm a Pharisee. But if this is you, this is just praying about it, what I'm seeing. Two ways that we struggle with sin too much. First is sometimes, you know, we, we sin confess our sin to God, ask for forgiveness of that, truly repent of it, and turn from that sin and turn to Jesus. But, and that's all good, but then where we struggle too much is continuing after that. Paying penance is what that's called. That's not in the Bible. The idea of penance is Jesus didn't completely pay for your sins. He paid for most of it, but you have to also suffer for your sin to be forgiven. That's the idea of penance, and that's not in the Bible. That's been throughout church history and idea, but that's not in the Bible. And there's no concept of penance in the New Testament. You do not also have to pay a penalty for a sin that's been forgiven by Jesus. A lot of times when people struggle too much with their sin, that's what they're doing, is paying, paying penance. The other day, I, uh, Adrian, me, and my kids were at Dustin's house, and uh, the kids were playing around, we were having a good time. And Nora, my daughter, she's like two and a half now, and she tried uh, crawling under the baby gate to get to the basement. And there's, there's a fairly lengthy flight of stairs there. It could be kind of dangerous. 
And we caught her squirming underneath the baby gate to try to get downstairs. And the first time, you know, we caught her pretty early on, pulled her, told her, but she wasn't being super good at the time anyway. We said, if you do that again, if you do that again, we're going to have to go home. You know, it's kind of scary if she got down, she'd probably fall the whole way. So then a little bit later, I hear, what I hear is not anything, and that's always bad when you don't hear your kids say anything. And I go over to check on her, and she is almost all the way wiggled under the baby gate, like her foot is barely still out, and I can yank her back by her foot and stop her from going under the baby gate and, you know, save the day. But then we had to go home because I said we'd have to go home. So we went home, and she was upset. But this is, I think, when, you know, God calls himself a father. That's the thing he calls himself more than anything. He's a father. And there's so much we can learn about God when we look at our own kids. And it's been a huge blessing to have kids and see the father's perspective. Because here's, from God's point of view, I think we're a lot like my daughter Nora. Like she didn't know that she's going to go down this, you know, flight of stairs if she goes under the baby gate. She was just curious. She couldn't stop herself. Kind of like Paul says, the things that I want to stop doing, I can't stop. And she is not like an evil, I mean, she's two, and she's very sweet. She calls Dustin Mr. Dustin, you know, that's, very proud of her for that. And uh, she, she's polite. She's not trying to do evil, but it's like she couldn't stop herself. And that's, I think, how God sees us. Not that he's just like, oh, you know, it's so cute that you're doing these terrible things. But, see, exa- there you go. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, Exactly. Perfect timing. That's good. But that's, that's good. Perfect timing. Because that's exactly where I was headed, right? You, we, we don't get mad at the, you know, yeah, I was mad at Nora because I was worried about her and that she didn't listen, but it's not like I wanted her to go home and sit in the car on the way back, hanging her head and pouting and feeling so terrible about things. It, the, there was a consequence and we moved on. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we are disciplined by God. Because the Bible says if, if you have a father who never disciplines you, he doesn't love you. And sometimes we experience consequences, but we're not being punished. And he doesn't want us to punish ourselves. And with your own kids, if they keep doing something, and you know, this is, sometimes we struggle with sin too much, and maybe even you keep doing that same thing, and you're struggling very hard. And if you're, if you see your own kids doing the same thing, having the same problems, what do you want them to do? You don't want them to be all depressed and hang their head. You want them to ask for help. And that's what God, He's, has a Father's heart. And He doesn't want you, if you keep struggling with the same sin over and over, as long as you're repenting and turning to Him, He doesn't want you to pay a penalty His Son already paid. He wants you to ask Him for help. Just like we want our own kids to ask for help. And the danger of struggling with sin too much is it takes the focus off of Jesus and it puts it on yourself. And that's legalism. And where it's about how good I am and I need to pay a penalty and I need to be holy and Jesus didn't pay the full price. And we also struggle with sin too much when we're struggling with things that aren't even sinful. Like I just mentioned, there's some things... Like we saw earlier today, there's traditions of men. And sometimes we are so afraid of breaking God's law that we make other laws so we don't break that. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're kicking yourself for breaking your own rules, that's not even a sin. That's something you made 
to help yourself. And that's actually your, I think, resisting temptation now if you're putting up boundaries for yourself. But this is what the Pharisees did. And the Pharisees were Jesus' number one enemy while he was on the earth. And uh, he had terrible things to say about the Pharisees. On one hand, the Pharisees didn't struggle with sin enough because they thought they were pretty perfect. They were holier than everybody. But on the other hand, they struggled with sin too much about certain things, like the Sabbath. That God had said to take a day off for the Sabbath. That's good. And so they didn't want to break God's command, but then they struggled way too much not to do that. And it got to ridiculous points. Like today you can't flip a light switch if you're an Orthodox Jew on Saturdays because you're breaking the Sabbath. And that's struggling too much. And sometimes that's the way we struggle with our sin. It's not even things that are sinful that we're kicking ourselves for breaking. Or same with tithing. I mean, the Pharisees were very concerned with, they have to pay the exact percentage God told them to pay to the temple. And that's good. They want to follow God's law. But what they do, they took it to the extreme. Well, now they're tithing out of their spice rack. And Jesus says, you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. And they're more concerned with giving God a certain percentage of their spices than God's love and His justice. And this is what I see like from my wife and, and other people. Again, not me. This isn't me. But I see struggling with sin so much, struggling so hard to keep God's laws that we pass by His love. And it's not a loving relationship anymore. It's a obedience. It's like, it's like an enslavement. You have to do this. You have to follow all these little rules. And you're passing by God's love. And you're forgetting that God is a Father who loves you dearly no matter what you do, like we love our own kids. And we forget that He loved us so much that He sent His Son to pay the penalty for our sin. And it's not that we don't struggle, but if you're struggling too much and struggling with trying to keep these traditions of men that aren't even in the Bible, there's the danger of passing right past His love and not seeing it. And maybe kind of put this all together. Another example would be I have a guitar in my classroom at school where I work. And sometimes when the kids are working and they don't need help, I play a couple soothing melodies, I'll say. Because it is, now I'm not slacking on my job. Research has shown that kids work better when there's music without lyrics. So I provide that. Okay, so I play guitar sometimes <laughs> while my kids are working. And they're all in the zone, you know. And yeah, I'm, if they ask for help, I go help them again. Whatever. So I'm playing guitar, and sometimes a few of them have said, hey, I want to play guitar too, because that's a beautiful, soothing melody. That's the exact words they say. And so I'll show them a couple chords on guitar, and most of the time they just get really frustrated, because I go like, boom, and it's not you know that hard. I've been playing guitar for a while, and they struggle so hard to play one little chord. And then they get frustrated and mostly give up. There's not a lot of kids who've ask me for a little help learning guitar and then have actually learned how to do it. Usually they give up because they get frustrated. But, and I've been playing guitar for over 10 years. And that's not, I'm not saying like I'm super good at it, but I can go, dee 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 dee, you know, that kind of stuff. When I first learned how to play guitar, it was, <clears throat> not a beautiful melody. Or it was uh, just, <clears throat> you know, just quarter note strumming down on the chords. And it takes a while to get comfortable enough with that for to really you know, play with it and do some other things to make those beautiful, soothing melodies. And I think sometimes 
those of you who have this problem of struggling with sin too much, it can be a little bit like that, where maybe you see the kind of perfect exterior we put on as Christians in church. I mean, that's not how it should be, but sometimes we do. And we put out this thing, and you know we've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, and people see that and think, that's how I need to be right now. And sometimes God's not mad at you because you're learning how to play an instrument and all you can do is the thing is learning, it's trying, it's struggling. And nobody in church is perfect. Nobody in the Bible is perfect except for Jesus. And sometimes we think, maybe those of you who haven't been Christians a long time or maybe was spiritually immature for a long time and now just kind of stepping up and wanting to progress and think, I should be here right now and that I'm struggling right now. I, I need to be working harder. I need to be doing this. I need to do this. But no, you're learning how to play the basic quarter note chords on the guitar. And God is very happy that you're doing that. That you are trying and you're moving ahead with that. But if that's where you stay your entire life, if you play guitar for 10 years and all you can still do is, well, you're not doing it right. There should be a progression. That's sanctification. That as you increase in holiness, some things do become easier, but maybe some things become harder because now you're aware of it. But we don't want to compare to what we see in church and think this is these people are so holy and all that, and I have to be instantly like that because everyone has their own struggles. And the important part is learning. And if you struggle with sin too much, there's a couple times where Jesus is very tender and can be very encouraging with people who are struggling too much. One is with Martha in Luke chapter 10, and Martha was struggling she was trying to get this whole meal ready for Jesus and the disciples. And she was working very hard to do that. And she gets mad at her sister Mary because she just wants to sit down and be with Jesus. And she's struggling very, very hard. And Jesus tells her this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Then You don't need to struggle so hard, Martha. What you need is to sit down and be with me. And with Paul, even the writer of this, Jesus is very tender with Paul. Paul had murdered a Christian. He was persecuting Christians. He was killing Jesus' followers. And as he's doing that, and Paul's trying to pursue righteousness on his own, and he's trying to work so hard, and he's trying to struggle and be Hebrew of the Hebrews and Pharisee of the Pharisees. And Jesus... When he appears to him on his way to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. He's very tender. And a goad is a cattle prod. And it has like a nail on it or some sharpened thing. Try to get cattle to go in the right direction. And he's saying, Paul, all this struggling, all you're trying to do to be righteous on your own, it's so hard for you. You're kicking against the cattle prod. And you're fighting so hard to just not experience my love. And that's what he's telling Paul to do. I love you, Paul. I die for you. And you're trying to kill my followers. But you don't need to struggle against it. You don't need to kick against it. And just like he said to Martha, you just it's my love that I have for you. That's what you need to remember. And not saying not to struggle against your sin. Not saying don't struggle with all your might. But I'm saying take it to Jesus. Because he loves you, and it's hard to kick against the goads. Now what do we do? 
Some of us struggle too much. Some of us don't struggle enough. What we do is look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus when we're struggling with our sin. And we'll see how that works at the end of this chapter here. But first, let's quickly, what does society tell us how to struggle with our sin? This is very important. Yeah, we're Christians, but we're influenced by society. We're influenced by the culture. And these are the things, like I said earlier, we hear on TV, we see in the movies, kids are taught in schools. This is what you do culturally when you've done something bad. And this is very dangerous. We'll see. It's like the opposite of what the Bible says. So we need to realize where we're struggling with our sin in the way the culture wants us rather than the Bible. So for, I got this from WikiHow, so we know it's you know credible. And it says, how to justify your sin in seven steps. That's all it takes. You can justify your sin. And this is, goes along with the whole message that our culture preaches to us. First, you define what sin is. It's like I was saying, that's very convenient if you can define sin for yourself, because probably you're not going to define it as the thing that you do. That's what the culture says. Then they say, consider that the concept of sin is a social construct social construct, and has no basis in reality beyond what you make of it. Okay, well, that makes things really easy because sin is just in our heads. Is, that, is sin just in your head when there's someone molesting children? I don't think so. Okay, but this is culturally so we can feel good about what we do, and we all buy into this in some way or another. Then, cultural say, to remember that you are a biological being despite all social influences. Hey, you're just a human. That's who you are. Again, yeah, that feels good when someone tells that to us, but someone who's abused you, can you, it's okay, you're just a human. No, sin is not just in our head. It's not just part of being a human. Then they say, think back on all the good you have done, and then think of all the good that you will do. You're like, this is going to change things. You know what, I hit my kid, but I've done good things before, and I'm going to do good things later, so it's, it's all okay. Then they say, accept your failure and move on. Hey, it's no big deal. That's, I'm just going to move on to better things. If you hold to the belief in a being who created the universe, it is completely rational to blame your current situation on that being. Hey, so they're saying, if you believe in some sort of God, it's perfectly rational to blame that God for what you've done. Again, it says the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. And this is completely opposite to what the Bible teaches. But it's not your fault, it's God's fault. God shouldn't have made you that way. And then, here's their final bit of advice, probably the worst one of all, follow your heart. This is most important and will lead you on the right path every time. What the Bible says, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And this is the worst advice you could possibly get. And I've been a Christian about three years, and this is exactly how I would justify my sins before then. But this is very, very dangerous culturally and to yourself because it just makes a joke of sin. Like all the evil in the world is a joke because so you, you can do terrible things, but no, I'm going to do good things later on. It's okay. Or it's not my fault. Or that's what my heart was telling me. And it makes sin into a joke. And that's very dangerous because it's not a joke when someone does it to us. When someone does terrible things to us, it's not a joke. And for that message to be preached continually, culturally, is very dangerous because then there's no such thing as evil and there's all this whatever. And the Bible says completely opposite to that. But again, we all buy into this in some way, so we need to be on guard for that. Are you trying to self-atone or justify your own sin? But here's what the Bible says. First of all, verse 22 of Romans 7. 
For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So when you struggle with sin, that's the first thing. He's saying, I love God's law. I agree with God on what is sinful. And now I'm defining my own sin. And now I'm renaming sin, but I agree with God on what He says is wrong. And then verse 24, first part of that. O wretched man that I am. So Paul says, I agree with God's law. What he says is wrong is wrong. And then he says, I hate what I just did. No excuses, no blaming. I'm a wretched man. I'm wretched. Then he says, the rest of that verse, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I agree with what God says, that it's wrong. And I did it, and I hate that. What can I do about it? Nothing. And he doesn't say, oh, wretched man that I am, I need to try harder. Oh, wretched man that I am, I need to redefine my sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, I need to blame somebody. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he's hit his end. He stopped trying to justify his own sin. Who will deliver me? There's nothing I can do. I know what I did is wrong. I hate what I did it. Who will deliver me? And he says in verse 25, the first part, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's all he can do in the struggle is say, I know what I did is wrong. I hate that I did it. I'm not making any excuses. I have nothing I can do. Because if you think there's something you can do, you're managing it. You're not giving it to God. And his answer is the victory is through Jesus. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's not one, two, three, do this, and your struggle with sin is over. It's, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's always looking back to Him. And in Ephesians 6, it talks about this struggle with sin as well. And, you know, the armor of God, fairly well known. And as Christians, we're supposed to put on this armor in our struggle with sin. And each piece of armor represents something. And there's one weapon we have in that battle with sin. That's the sword, and that's God's Word, the Bible. And that's our only weapon in our struggle with sin is the Bible, reading God's Word and agreeing with it. But so often when we're struggling, what do we do? We lay down our only weapon. We surrender. We stop reading the Bible. And we stop looking to it for wisdom and for to see Jesus, to be transformed by Him. And we lay down our only weapon in this battle, spiritual warfare it's called, and we, we surrender. We don't have our weapon anymore because we're not reading the Bible. It also says in Ephesians 6 to always be in prayer about these things. But what do we do a lot of times when we're struggling with sin? We stop praying. And it's like I said earlier, when you have little kids, how do you know that they're doing something wrong? They get really quiet all of a sudden. I mean, if you know Nora, she's always jabbering. And if she's off in a room playing, she'll be la, la, la. As soon as she's quiet for a while, we get very suspicious. And God is a father. And when we're struggling with sin and we're giving into it and we're surrendering, we're off in our corner being really quiet so that He doesn't hear us. And He knows what's going on. He knows that we're not praying, we're not reading the Bible. That's why that's the foundation. Read the Bible and pray every day. If you're not doing those things, you can't really do anything else. And it's not doing them out of obligation, it's doing it out of worship. To see yourself and to see how Jesus has saved you. So sometimes we struggle with sin too much, sometimes we don't struggle with sin enough. But the answer always is, has to be Jesus. So what should we make of this, like a final conclusion on this? 
is what the Bible says, what it says here in Romans, the very end of this. This is Paul's conclusion. This is the Bible after Paul has said, I struggle so much. I do the things I hate. I hate that I do them. I don't make excuses. I need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. But what's he say after? So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he doesn't say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, my struggle's over. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and I still struggle. I myself serve the law of God in the mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. His struggle is not over, and our struggle will never be over until all struggles are over when Jesus returns. We're going to keep struggling. It doesn't mean we accept it and just say it's okay. But that's the conclusion here. It's not, the gospel is not a self-help book that will tell you how to get rid of all your problems. It's the power of God for salvation. And the answer is in Jesus, but it doesn't mean all our problems are going to be gone, all our struggles will be gone. Paul continued struggling, and as you see his later letters, maybe even more and more as he got older and more mature as a Christian. In Psalm 25, David writes, Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. And that's one little verse, but I think very important because he says, Forgive all my sins, and all your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. But he also says, look on my affliction and my pain. Not take away my affliction and my pain. Not get me through my affliction and my pain. He says, God, just look on it. Look on my affliction. Because that's God never promises to take away your struggle. But he'll look on it with you. He'll help you see it. And he'll forgive you of all your sins and your struggle. But he never says he's going to take it away. And the Bible says, when Jesus returns and we live with Him on the new earth and He'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And these tears include the tears of our struggle with sin, all the tears you've cried because you can't stop doing the things that you hate doing or you don't do the things you want to do, all those tears you've cried because of that. Jesus wipes those tears away from your face when He returns. All the pain that your sin has caused to you and to others in your struggle, says all that pain will be gone. And all the sorrow that you felt because of your sin and your struggle with it that you can never be, all that sorrow will be gone. And again, I'm sorry that there's now more practical, like one, two, three, follow this advice, and you'll be freed. But the Bible doesn't give those kinds of answers. The answer the Bible gives is Jesus. It's not super concerned with you need to do this and this and this and this and you'll be set. It's always remember who you are because who you are determines what you do. And if you are a forgiven child of God, then that should determine how you struggle. And who you are is that. Who you are is a sinner who is going to struggle. But you've received grace from your Father in heaven who loves you through the work of your Savior, Jesus. So let's pray. Father, first, I confess to you, I just do not struggle with sin like I should. And for my brothers and sisters who are like me in that, I just I pray for the Holy Spirit to convict us and show us where we're, being, where we're sinning and where we're redefining things and excusing them and blaming other people, that you would show us where we are sinning, and be with us in our struggle. And Father, for my brothers and sisters who struggle too much,
May I pray you would comfort them. Show them that your burden is easy and that you're here and you're tender-hearted towards them, Jesus, and that they wouldn't pass by your love in their struggle with sin. But Jesus, for all of us, as we struggle in our sin, I pray we would always look to you and who we are in you, that we have been forgiven and that we would admit the things that we do that are wrong, not excuse them. We would turn to you and only you for the answer to those things. And there's anybody here or listening right now, Lord Jesus, who is still justifying their sin in the way the culture tells us, just pray you would convict them right now through the Holy Spirit that that doesn't erase sin. And it makes evil look like a joke, and we know that it's not. So I pray that your name would be glorified in all this, and that we would turn to you in our struggle with sin. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.